Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Hello, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, and I'm joined by Dr. Misha Ann Martin, Senior Director of People Analytics and Research at WorkHuman. WorkHuman is a company that helps with employee performance, retention, and engagement. Misha Ann, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So earlier this month, WorkHuman put out a human workplace index on the evolution of mental health and well-being at work. And y'all had a lot of really fascinating statistics on how people are faring as far as mental health goes. And with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, the first question I would like to ask you is, how has the discussion of mental health and well-being specifically in the workplace changed or evolved since the pandemic began? So I want to start out by talking about where we are right now in terms of mental health, because it's different than where we were before the pandemic. So before the pandemic, we knew that one in five adults in the U.S. experienced mental illness, most often depression or anxiety. Today, after the pandemic, those numbers are significantly higher. So we've got as many as 80% of Americans struggling with anxiety or depression, grief. I mean, we've lost a lot of people due to COVID, right? And or isolation. Loneliness is a big thing as we're talking about, you know, people not being in front of each other as much as they were before. And then the other thing I also want to point out about current state is that different people are experiencing this differently. So if you look at the breakdown by race, ethnicity, we see that Asian people are 51% less likely to use mental health services compared to whites in the U.S., Latinos at numbers 25%, and Blacks at numbers 21%. So to get to the second part of it, like, what do we do about this in the workplace? So the first thing is to recognize that people are whole human beings. I think the pandemic taught us this as we saw people's homes, right? Their dogs, their kids, their spouses, their messy homes. And I think just this awareness that personal person and professional person are not different people. I think even that realization starts to help and helps us to get to asking people authentically, how are you and how can I support and how can I help? The other thing is, you know, we need to start thinking about the technology we're using to connect people because now more than ever, that's how people are connecting and not in person. So we have to thoughtfully choose technologies that help with things like loneliness and help people connect with their colleagues into the organization. And then lastly, this is a good time to bolster our employee resource group strategies. As we know that people are struggling, we need to make sure that they have support in the organization specifically for, you know, what they're dealing with, who they are, or what stage of life they're in. Right. And I know ERGs are a very popular way to build community and build support systems within companies. But do you have any advice for people in managerial positions or even CEO positions on what they can do to support their employees' mental health on a daily basis or on a more personal way? Yeah. I mean, I love to talk about, you know, what I call the generous check-in. 
So first of all, you have to make sure that you're checking in with people, period checking in with them frequently. So not just once a month, I think once a week, and based on our research, so it's not just me thinking that, but once a week is a really good cadence to check in with your direct reports and with your team. And then how you check in is important. Authentically asking people how they're doing. You know, sometimes you tell managers or leaders to do things and they do it checklist format. Okay, I'm supposed to ask how you're doing. (laughs) When you ask somebody how they're doing, make sure you you set the stage for them to really tell you how they're doing, which means being vulnerable yourself, which is not always comfortable. But if I'm open and I say to my team, hey, this is a really tough time for me right now. You know, I'm stressed or I'm worried about this thing. Well, it sets the stage for them to tell me similar things. I also started this thing in my one-on-ones years ago. At the end of every one-on-one, my team and I, we do best of, worst of. So best thing of the week, worst of the week. And then just for fun, you know, best thing you ate because we're all foodies. But I think opening that door for people to tell you what is the best thing that happened to you? And it could either be personal or work-related. And the same thing for the worst it really helps you understand what's what's going on with people. So just to summarize my recommendation here, a frequent, authentic check-in where people can really tell you how they're doing. And how do you recommend beyond the frequency of these meetings to kind of build up a culture of psychological safety within your organization? Yeah, fortunately for us, we have research on this, right? Like during the pandemic, we thought psychological safety was something that was really, really important to measure. And so we did. We did a really robust and comprehensive survey on that. And we found that organizations were not very good at psychological safety overall. So on a scale of one to five, the average was about 3.7. And there were people that were lower on this than the average. So women, parents, and people who were not white. So back to your question of, you know, how can we, how can we kind of help with this? Well, in our research, we find that appreciation and recognition really does help. The people in our sample that were reporting the highest levels of psychological safety were the people that were also saying that they were recognized more frequently. So taking the time to let people know what you appreciate about who they are, what they bring to your organization, what they're doing for your organization, that really sets a tone for people that they're valued and sets a great foundation for all the benefits of psychological safety, like being able to speak up about anything, including what's going on with you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So as we've been talking about company culture and being there for your employees, a lot of companies are at this point in the pandemic where they're trying to determine if they're supposed to be completely remote or uh, finding some sort of hybrid. So how do you recommend companies determine which combination of in-person and at-home work is the best choice for their company and their employees' mental health and their company culture? Yeah. So the first thing I recommend is a paradigm shift where this is concerned. A lot of companies think, okay, so it's our choice, remote versus hybrid versus in-person. And I invite companies to kind of turn that thinking on its head and instead provide guidelines for what types of work is best done in which way. So you really need to untangle the things people do and figure out what are those things that require in-person collaboration and set those guidelines for the organization and then let people choose what works best for them. 
I mean, the power of choice is phenomenal and people have different needs, different desires, different life stages. If we set those guidelines and then allow people to choose what works best for them in terms of what they need, I think that would go a huge way towards people not only feeling psychologically safe, but their mental health, just allowing people to choose what works best for them and knowing that the organization supports them in that. Just to change directions a touch, I wanted to go back to the human workplace index that you guys conducted. A lot of the research was telling it, like, honestly, some of it made sense where 40% of people were feeling burned out among a couple of those other statistics. So I was just wondering if on your end, if anything came across as surprising or something that you didn't expect. You know, honestly, none of what we're finding to me is that surprising But one of the things I love about data and research is that when you do it and you present these things that you think people should already know, all of a sudden you move past debating whether or not it's actually happening to a conversation about what to do about what's happening. So while I'm not surprised about anything that we found, I am grateful that we're arming people with the data they need to have the conversations about how to make things better. Right. So like you said, having the facts is the first step to getting people to make a change. How do you recommend using the data that you and countless other companies have found on how people's mental health are doing to institute change within companies? Yeah. So I think the first thing that I recommend is the data about how checking in changes things for people. So that's the first recommendation is to stay connected to people in that way by doing those, you know, high frequency, high quality one-on-ones. I recommend that individuals take our data as a starting point, but then also have a really solid listening strategy in their own organization. So our data can tell you what's likely to be true, right, based on our sample But now you kind of want to test some of those hypotheses in your own organization and see what's happening with your people. Also, I recommend that, you know, organizations take advantage of the data that they already have. So, for example, I was at my professional conference last week and what I learned across a number of of different practitioners doing employee listening surveys is that non-whites were less likely to respond in the first place. So you have questions on there, for example, about belongingness and inclusion. But if most of your non-whites are not responding, is that really a good indicator of that all by itself? So I suggest that we incorporate more passive data sources into the quest to understand what's really going on. So using calendar invites, for example, to see who is in meetings. Is anybody being systematically left out of the critical meetings that we have. Things like that, or if you have a recognition program or a feedback program where people are typing feedback, is there different language being used to describe the accomplishments of different people? So I recommend that, you know, in essence, people use our data as a starting point, but then also do further exploration in their own organizations as well. Right, and like you've mentioned a couple of times before and just in your last response, non-white people experience the workplace very differently. And helping with mental health, working on DEI efforts are interlinked. So beyond ERGs and this passive sort of data collection that you just talked about, do you have any other pointers on how to bring all of your employees into the fold and make everyone feel welcomed and like they belong? 
Our research really does point to the power of recognition for doing that and making sure you have a culture that equally recognizes different types of people. We did this one study with a client in the middle of the pandemic when most of their workforce was remote. And what we found is that the people who said they felt most connected to their colleagues were the ones that had been recognized most recently. And then furthermore, this was even more true for people that received recognition that had a monetary component. So there's something about taking a moment to appreciate people and then putting some gravitas on it with a monetary component that really seems to help people feel connected. We've also done research on people's perceptions of how inclusive they think their organization is. And what we find here is something similar with a little bit of a twist. So we know that receiving recognition and appreciation really helps. But what we additionally found in this study is that having people give recognition to others is helpful as well. So we found that the more people gave and received before their engagement survey, the more likely they were to say that their organization values diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. And do you think that giving out recognition and receiving recognition is most effective on those one-on-one meeting scale, on a team scale, or even on a broader corporate email shout-out range? I think all of the above. You know, in our research, we find that the things that connect people to the organizational community is having that happen in different ways and having that happen a lot. I think recognition is a way for people to feel seen, right? When your manager shouts you out, you feel like, oh my gosh, they see me. They really see me, right? Yeah. And then the same with peers or skip level, right? So I think having people constantly be reminded of their value to the organization from various places within the organization is key to making every individual feel like they really belong and that they're part of the organizational community. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So you've established that recognition can really help people in the long run. And a different issue beyond general mental health struggles that people are facing is burnout. So what can employers do to relieve the stress and the burden on their workers? So the first thing is to embrace work-life flexibility. You know, we're not going back. This flexibility genie is way out of the bottle (laughs) and people have tasted the benefits of that. So people in different life situations now having more time with their children because they don't have a commute. I mean, that's really helpful, right? These are the things that mitigate stress and burnout um, when you have choice and when you have flexibility. The second thing I recommend is make time to listen. When you're checking in with your employees and they're really telling you how they're doing, invite them to tell you about their workload. Maybe in a team meeting, this is something that I do with my own team. We do a quick five-minute workload check-in. I mean, it doesn't have to be extensive. It can be a thumbs up, thumbs down, and it gives us the opportunity to reassign work if we need to. And it also gives that team feeling when team members go, hey, you know, I have a little extra space on my plate right now. Let me take something for you. There's nothing but good in that. And then lastly, you know, bringing it back to recognition in our research, 
We actually did this research study in 2019 that we replicated in the middle of the pandemic. And we were looking at the relationship between gratitude, recognition, and stress. And what we found is that people who were recognized most often were the highest on gratitude and the lowest on stress. And then we thought, okay, so that was 2019. During the pandemic, everything is blowing up for everybody. Everyone's going to be stressed for one reason or another. (laughs) Exactly, right? Does this effect still hold in a really stressful time? And we actually found that it did. So there's something about appreciation that reinforces an individual's value to the organization and just kind of helps to take the stress level down. Thank you. That's really good advice. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) (laughs) Since we are almost at time, I have one final question to ask you. Sure. Since the podcast airs on Fridays, do you have anything that you're looking forward to this weekend, um, either personal or professional? Yes, there are two big things I'm looking forward to this weekend. The first is on Friday, I get my Peloton delivered. Oh, that's so exciting. (laughs) I'm so excited about that. I am coming to you from Austin, Texas, and it is hot. Oh my gosh, Texas is a different animal. (laughs) Exactly. And we're up to 90s and 100s right now. So there goes my afternoon or evening walk, right? So I'm really looking forward to that. And then on Sunday, I leave for Work Human Live, which is our big conference. And this is going to be, you know, the first Work Human Live since the pandemic. And so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting together with my colleagues and meeting our guest speakers. And we're recording a few sessions for our own podcast, How We Work. So I'm really excited about all of that. Those are the two things I'm looking forward to. That's so exciting. It sounds like you've got like a really great weekend and then whole week of work lined up. Yep. That's a good time. Yeah. Misha Ann, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Me too. Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.